Hey, woman, get me some root beer so then I can listen to the Fedora Chronicles radio show and do my homework. You're listening to the Fedora Chronicles radio show, volume two, number two. I'm your host, Eric Render King Fisk. This time around, Doug Palumbo and I talked to Michael French from Retro Blasting. We talk about the origins of his famous YouTube channel, recent controversy about plagiarism, and incredible fan support. As always, we are supported by you and the rest of our listeners every time you shop at Amazon by clicking through our link that is featured on all of our pages and forum. Everything you buy at Amazon after clicking our link, Amazon gives us a little thank you back. Just a couple of nickels and dimes to us with no added cost to you. The Fedora Chronicles radio show is also brought to you by Zazzle.com slash the Fedora Chronicles. Go there and you will find all the classic and now latest retrocentric merchandise with our logos, images, and slogans. We also take special requests. If you have an idea, let us know via our Fedora Chronicles forum, The Electric Speakeasy, or on our Fedora Chronicles club page on Facebook. Also, check us out on Twitter, Pinterest, YouTube, and Instagram. Once again, here I am with Doug Palumbo talking to our very special guest, Michael French from Retro Blasting. So, so anyway, um, here I am, Eric Render King Fisk, host of the Fedora Chronicles radio show, with my uh, one of my co-hosts, Doug Palumbo, with a very, very special guest, Michael French from Retro Blasting. Uh, this is oh, Eric, you are too kind. We we go way back, you know that. We go way back. What a lot of people don't realize is that um, Michael French and I, we uh, we were actually fellow inmates at a um, a, a Turkish prison. Um, we were actually uh, caught stealing artifacts from. Um, I you know what? I don't even remember the name of the site, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, and uh, I, I passed through many. I passed through many gates uh, back then uh, on my uh, travels, and uh, I found myself in the company of good men, and I found myself in the company of questionable men. And I am proud to admit that I am in one of those parties. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, just to give uh, people some background um, from my point of view. Um, anytime when there was any kind of retrocentric um, forum that would pop up, um, either I would show up and Michael French would show up or vice versa. And, and the thing is, is that it was just like, it's like, an, it's like a movie from The Expendables. Just when you think that this guy's out of the picture, he shows up at the last minute to save the day. <laughs> That's basically Michael French. He is, he is one of the retrocentric uh, Expendables. <laughs> I take that as a compliment. I I, I love that uh, cast of characters. Absolutely, and they're all great movies. They're great popcorn movies. Yes, they are. But um, and the thing is, is that uh, Michael French has also contributed an article or two to the Fedora Chronicles archives. That's and, right. And um, uh, actually, um, I can think of at least two really good features that you wrote. And if we have time, we'll get into that. Okay. Um. Uh, Doug, how do you know Michael French? I knew about him from other websites and forums and such. And uh, really, I knew of his name and everything and then sort of forgot about uh, him, no offense, and then was perusing through YouTube one day and came across uh, Retro Blasting as uh, the YouTube channel. And I'm like, this is really good. A lot of cool 
80s cartoon reviews and toy reviews and how to fix toys because I have two boys. They're older now. They're 15 and 13. But, you know, I always fix their toys because I find it I always found it fun. And um, it was something we could do together and, uh, you know, make a, you know, why throw it away when you can fix it? So I watched it for entertainment, but also for tips. And because, um, you know, certain plastics react a certain way when you clean them or you take off the, the decals. And Michael's channel is indispensable uh, for that information and what to do, what not to do. And so, and then I'm like, wait a minute, Michael French, I know that name. So I did a little dig and I'm like, that's the same Michael French that from way back. So that's how I came across him. That's hilarious. Absolutely. So and I didn't realize they were one and the same person until it just kind of clicked. I'm like, wait a minute, is that the, yes, it is. Of course it is. So, I, I, I hold a very dubious internet record um, that not many people know about. Um, there was a time for about two months back in the, uh, early aughts, where I was a writer and or staff member on every major Indiana Jones website at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was a staff member of the Raider.net, IndieWeb, Indie Experience, and Indie Gear all at the same time. <laughs> you and I were both fellow cast members on the Indie Experience. Right, right. That is correct. And we need a special shout out to our good friend, Aaron Gant, who is doing an incredible job with the Steadicam in a whole bunch of blockbusters. Um, I, I, does he, he, he's got to have an IMDb page, right? Somewhere he does, yeah. He, he's got to. He's got to. And I, it, it's amazing watching him from um, this 14-year-old kid who just started playing around with HTML to somebody who ran, uh, per, I mean... I think that the indie experience was probably the closest um, a website that captured the spirit of of the Indiana Jones movies, right? And and, um, and now he he went off to college and he he has a degree in in being a cameraman and he's doing incredible work. So special salute out to Aaron Gant. That's awesome. I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Well, what else have you been doing? I mean, it's like, um, like the thing is, like, if we were going to look up, look you up on LinkedIn, what, what's, what, what's your oh. handle? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, well, after uh, I got out of uh, graduate school, uh, I spent '01 to '03 in Los Angeles uh, after college, and uh, I met a lot of the indie gear guys out there. And then in '03, I went back to graduate school at University of Georgia. Uh, got a degree in uh, mass comm jur with journalism, and then I went and became a newspaper reporter for two years. Uh, but I didn't like the um, – if anyone looks at you skeptically when you say that the media has a bias, I can assure you the oh, media yeah. has a bias. Yeah. And it's very real per per outlet. Absolutely. So, yeah. And I was, a, I was an indentured servant to a – uh, a publisher who had his own interests and agenda within the local community. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I said, I got to get out of this now too, because journalism's not honest anymore. So I uh, left there and went into public relations. I thought, well, if I'm going to be spinning something, I might as well be comfortable while I'm doing it. Exactly. So, <laughs> so I, I became a, a public relations spokesperson for uh, United Parcel Service, UPS, and then I did that for the better part of seven years, 
and I recently joined uh, a, a company called Cox Communications, and now I do internal communications for them. Oh, that's so. Are you the guy who came up with that handle? What can Brown do for you? <laughs> I wish I was. No, that was <laughs> that was before my time. So, but yeah, that's what I've been doing, and and uh, in this in my spare time, uh, my better half and I, Melinda, she uh, she came up with this idea to start a web channel, and we did that in 2012, and we've been doing that ever since in our spare time. So between moments of burnout, we do our day jobs and we do this YouTube channel. So, well, I besides. Go Sorry. ahead, Doug. Go ahead, Doug. Besides, um, you know, just having fun with toys when you were a kid and enjoying, you know, the uh, mostly great cartoons, some not so much of the 80s. What what um, and you said Melinda was the one that sort of inspired the idea. But what was the real factor behind doing retro blasting um, as it is with the reviews and the the, you know, toy repair and and all that? Sure. Um, what happened was I was trying to look up a video about uh, Voltron because I wanted to find a video about a specific toy set that I had kept from when I was a child. And uh, I still had it. It was in great shape. It was in a display case by my television. And I was looking up this one website, and it'll remain nameless, uh, YouTube channel. And everyone had said, oh, go here. This guy's the best. He's the best in toys and everything. And he, you'll get the best video there. And I, I went there. And Melinda came over my shoulder while I was watching it because I was really irritated. Because what the guy brought up was a toy that had 70% of its parts missing. Oh. Right? And his co-host also had one with 70% of its parts missing. And so together they basically had what looked like a bunch of leftovers from an old sandbox. And they were talking about these toys, but they were telling you more than they could show you. Mm -hmm. So they were like, well, uh, yeah, we don't have the sword. And, oh, there were hatches here. And these characters came with X, you know. And I'm like, you're not – and I got irritated. And then Melinda looked over at me and she said, don't you have those over in a case? And I said, yeah. And she said – well, you went to film school. You know how to write. I said, yeah. She said, you're in the video group at UPS. You know, you, you, you're you doing this all the time. You should just do a video. You can beat this guy. So I was like, all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I uh, got the camera out. And the first thing we actually did was uh, it was a part. It was it started out as a party trick uh, or a party gag. Uh, people knew that I really hated the Thundercats. <laughs> and uh, and uh, at, at parties uh, and at get-togethers and stuff, there would always be this group of friends who would goad me. They'd be like, hey, Michael, what do you think about the Thundercats to all the people who hadn't heard this rant? And so I'd go off on this rant. So Melinda said, well, maybe we should start with that. Well, the first video will be this, your rant on Thundercats. And I said, great. And so we did that. And then we did the Voltron thing. And it, the Thundercats thing kind of took off because a lot of people hated it. Um, but you know what? I guess any uh, on YouTube, attention is attention, whether it's good or bad. Exactly. And, you know, for better or worse, I was honest. So what you're really trying to say is that we should be talking to Melinda and not you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, well <laughs> what, the way it really plays out is um, Melinda knew that I had all these memories from back then. Um, uh one of the things that I got attacked on during the Thundercats thing in the comments was they said, there's no way that you looked at that cartoon that way when you were a kid. And I wrote back and I said, that's amazing. I didn't realize that you were in my brain 
when I was seven. I had no idea you were there. Thank you for clarifying my own thoughts. But I have vivid memories from back then. And I know what I was thinking back then. I remember what things irritated me and why. Um, uh, I was reading before I could speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my parents found that out when they caught me reading the newspaper one day. Um, and then when my mom took me to her hospital, uh, she worked in a, a maternity ward or a, a social working offshoot of a maternity ward. Um, I started reading out loud the uh, names on all of the rooms. So like treatment room and observation. And I was 18 months old. And that was, that's how she figured out I could read because my first word was like observation. So, um, yeah, it was really weird. And uh, uh, because of that, uh, my memories are vivid. And because of that, I retain all my feelings from back then. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not. No, it makes a Actually, lot of sense. Actually, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, maybe that's what um, – sorry to cut you off, Eric. But maybe that's what attracted me to the channel is that because, you know, people, you know, back then, the, the powers that be that made shows or toys or whatever just said, well, you know, we'll just base this on some – standard formula and the kid watch it but and maybe that's true to some degree or they'll you know play with these toys because it's based on some some thing that we make and but kids know what's crap i mean i don't know why people think that you know oh they'll just put this out and they'll eat it up but kids know what they like and what they don't like and i felt the same way about a lot of shows that people are like oh this is great and i'm like I don't like it. Like, right. Yeah, I don't want to plug somebody else's podcast, but once in a while, Adam Carolla will go off on how much he hates um, Sid and Marty Croft. Uh-huh. And, and the thing is, is that it was just like all of his arguments hold up. But the thing that really drives me crazy is that when I tell people, listen, I never liked Hanna-Barbera cartoons because mm-hmm. I, I, they were all formulaic. And it was just like, I think the only... Um, Saturday morning cartoon that really sort of held any sort of water for me at all was Scooby-Doo until Scrappy showed up. Right. And I had such a visceral hatred for Scrappy that was almost pathological. And people were like, well, why are you getting so angry about Scrappy? Because Scrappy ruined the show. What right. happened to Fred and Vilma and Daphne? It's like they, they, they Scrappy didn't make up for their loss. And, and it was just like and even as a kid, I knew this was crap. Sure. And, and, yeah. And, and so many of those commercials just became I'm sorry, commercials. So many of those cartoons turned into be um, 20 minute um, commercials. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that this is exactly where we need to come in and ask Mike French, can you tell us what happened this past weekend with retroblasting? Yeah, yeah, I can tell you what happened. Um, it's a very, it was unique. I didn't see it coming. Melinda didn't see it coming. But uh, on, uh, I guess it was Thursday, Thursday evening. Yeah, it was Thursday evening. I was editing late into the evening, as I often do, trying to get another video put up. And it was one of our Dragon Con uh, panels that we'd just done. And I got this message from a supporter. And uh, we call them supporters and friends, by the way. We don't call them fans because right. I feel like that's just belittling. Um, they are very intelligent people, and they look out for the things that they're passionate about, and they they treat us with respect. And 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 this guy wrote me, and he said, "Hey, Michael," he said, uh, "You need to check this out. IGN is ripping you off." And I was like, "What?" And he had a link 
to an article about the 1985 cartoon Star Wars Droids. And I was like, oh, IGN, the, the big video game website is writing a, an article. Huh, I wonder what this is about. So I clicked the link, which bounced me over to the Facebook posting on IGN's Facebook page. And I saw another one of my friends uh, who had commented on their post with a link to my video about Star Wars droids from a year ago, actually a year and a half ago now. And he said the same thing. He was saying, uh, I sense that I've seen this somewhere before. <laughs> oh, wait, I have. It's this video. And uh, so I started reading the article, and the writer, Max Nicholson, had uh, lifted large structural uh, sections of the video. He'd lifted actual verbiage. He'd lifted uh, observations that I'd made. And the sad part is, is that, okay, I, I am not so arrogant as to think that I can walk up and say X movie or X television show is bad. And then the next person that comes up and says X movie or X television show is bad is ripping me off. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about very specific subjective analysis, very subject, like very specific observations about this cartoon. Now, before you uh, go any further, uh -huh. before you go any further, um, as a as the host of 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 this podcast, and I have to let you know that before I said we got to get Michael French on, I did my own due diligence. I saw your video. I read the article. Doug did the same exact thing. And what you're saying is not hyperbole in the slightest bit. Because the thing is, it was almost as if he wrote a transcript of your video and, and mm -hmm. polished some of the English a little bit and then passed it off as his own. And I'm sure that Doug can back me up on this. Well, I was going to say that, you know, I'd be the, even though Michael's our guest, I'd be the first one to say, well, maybe I think you're reading into this a little too much. But... I remember the video from when he first posted it. I rewatched it and read the article. And it wasn't the same thing as two guys talking about a show. Um, it wasn't anything like that. It was like Eric said. He took a transcript of your video and then barely changed a few things around and then said, here's my article. And it's clearly yeah. not his article. That's you. You essentially wrote that article. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because when I started reading it, I was because at first, you know, you think, you know, you have some passionate supporters and and they're looking out for you, and you think, well, maybe it is going to be, a, uh, you know, just some some passing uh, similar observations because it was a short-lived thirteen-episode show. There's only so much you can say. Absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I, I started reading it. And I was like, wait a second. Um, one of the first things that jumped out at me was the fact that he structured it the same way I structure my videos, where it's you talk about the show, you analyze the show, then you talk about the toys, you analyze the toys' uh, impact on pop culture. And I was like, all right, well, okay, there's that. And then I started reading further, and I the first thing that jumped out at me was when he uh, talked about the theme song. And he said... The theme song for this show was written by Stuart Copeland of The Police. And then in parentheticals, he said, yes, The Police. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's exactly the way I delivered that in the video. Yeah. So then and I went down. That's what first popped out to me, too. Yeah. Exactly just that. Yeah. So then I went down further, 
and he starts rattling off all the stuff that's that sort of uh, is similar to the prequels, things that sort of predicted the prequels. And that now that that in and of itself is not necessarily plagiarism. Two people can see similarities in this thing because Star Wars is a big popular saga. Sure. So I start reading it, but he gets to the he goes he rattles off a list of things, and when he gets to the end of that list, he says. Uh, a vehicle that's just a giant wheel. And I go, wait a minute, that's exactly how I punctuated my list. I ended it with a vehicle that's just a giant wheel. Like those are my exact words. Well, then it started to get a little more granular because when I went down further, the first thing that jumped out at me was he started talking about how all of the planets were desert planets. And that was where it started to stretch for me a little bit because one of the things that my friends know about me, one of my big pet peeves about the Star Wars saga is that I always complain that the only movie that didn't have a desert planet in it was Empire Strikes Back and yeah. all the others rely on the desert all the time. And so when I watched the droids video or the droids series, I immediately picked up on that as well. And I'm like, for the love. I was like, why is everything in Star Wars in a desert? Why do they have to always be in a desert? And so I wrote that out. So that was, I, I feel a little bit unique to my perspective. And then below that was when it really got weird because I also called out the fact that, and as you've probably seen from some of my other videos, I, could, I tend to get down in the weeds sometimes mm -hmm. about plot elements and details and things that other people, people have actually said, God, dude, it's just a cartoon. Why are you being so detailed about it? And I'm like, well, that's what I do. So, But you, but you uh, also talk about it exactly the way the we talk about stuff. Like when Doug and I talk about Road to Perdition or Miller's Crossing um, mm -hmm. or the, the indie films, I mean, we'll go off on a tangent. And it, it's like if you ever want to watch Doug's head explode, ask him <laughs> – ask him how much he hates Superman returns and, 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 and watch the fireworks. But the thing is, is that what you do in your video don't mean to interrupt. Um, yeah. But the thing is, is that that, that criticism to me is bogus because the thing is, is that you get into it the same way we would get into it. Like if, if we were sharing a table uh, at mm -hmm. comic, no, comic con or, or dragon con or whatever. I mean, you're passionate about it. So, right. Right. And and I was I was calling out the fact that the animation people at Nelvana didn't seem to have a consistent grasp on how many fingers they put on human characters. So some characters would have four, some characters would have five. And I kept taking note of it every time a new character would show up while I watched the show. And so I called it out in my video and I said, it could be a drinking game. Some of them have four, some of them have five. It's wildly inconsistent. Well, when I got another paragraph down in this guy's article, he calls out the fingers thing and he says, it's wildly inconsistent. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how, how much more obvious could this be? So then when we get to the end of the, of the article, he's talking about the toys and he talks about uh, the A-wing fighter. And this is where he gets it wrong. He starts talking about how it's it's clear that the A-wing fighter was uh, packaged in droids to try and sell the droids toys and sell off toys nobody wanted, which was a very thinly veiled paraphrase of the direction and theory that I had gone uh, with with my my section about that. And then he used the phrase, 
languished on toy aisles, meaning the toys languished on toy aisles. And I say in my video, the A-Wing was put in there to give this toy line a shot of adrenaline for toys that were languishing on toy aisles. And I'm like, all right, that's it. So uh, I uh, told Melinda and we contacted their editorial standards department. And then we also contacted the writer. The writer got back to us and he said, no, I use Rebel Scum and Wikipedia as my sources. And uh, it's, it, we, it's, it's, not, it's not what you think. Then a few minutes later, he writes me back and says, but just to clarify, I did watch your video and a few other droids related videos before I did my article. So I go on YouTube and I type in Star Wars droids cartoon and I hit enter. And would you believe that in the entire first run of results, the fifth video is my video and all of the other videos around it are just clips from the cartoon or the intro song. They're not commentary. They're not a review. Now, my video has 25,000 hits. Yeah. And it's, it's a pretty niche property. So I know that it probably is the one-stop shop for a review on Star Wars droids. So... I wait until like Friday night, Melinda and I are getting waffles and uh, the guy from the editorial standards department writes us in and he says, uh, hey, I've, I've been looking over your, your issue, uh, talked with Max, who's the writer, and he said, uh, I just really think that this is a coincidence and there's no wrongdoing on Max's part. So we thought, okay, typical, that's, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. Well, this is the best part. Ten minutes later, one of our supporters, not the same one who alerted me to it, but a, a different friend of ours um, who, we, who we've met in person, uh, he contacted me and he said uh, through, through my phone, he said, Michael, he said, uh, you need to go check this out fast. He said, they are editing the article right now in real time. He's like, when I refreshed it, they are trying to erase the evidence that they ripped you off. Yeah. So I race home, uh, Melinda and I race home, and we get screenshots of the, of the article as it was sitting there. And sure enough, all those phrases that I just mentioned that he ganked from me were quietly disappearing from the article. Well, they hadn't disappeared from IGN Middle East. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, because so, we looked at we looked up IGN, um, we looked up IGN, Max Nicholson, Star Wars droids, and then I used the word languished. And sure enough, IGN Middle East came up with the original version of the article, and we PDF the crap out of it. Yep. So then Melinda went through the article point by point, and she's very good at this because she does medical protocols for a living. So she went through the article point by point on a spreadsheet found that Max uh, had 69 separate points, and then she put on a grid all the sources he claims that he cited, and then she put our video in a column at the, at the end. And then she started going through determining where all of those points could have come from. Of all of the points in his article, all 69 of them, 42 of them came from our video alone. 61% of, of his observations were almost unique to our video. Wow. And not, that, that doesn't include the verbiage, that doesn't include, you know, all that stuff. So the, all these creative elements, you know. So we packaged all that up 
and we sent it to the editorial standards guy and we copied the writer and we said, um, you know, look, uh, we appreciate you getting back to us, but we don't think that it's as simple as that because um, Max might have told you that he used Wikipedia and, and Rebel Scum, but he told us in writing that he also used our video uh, or, or at least watched our video. Uh, we have the, the numbers here. I gave him all this. We, Melinda gave him all the stats. And then she said, uh, in addition to that, um, and Melinda was really good at writing this down. She said, in addition to that, uh, we have PDFs of both versions of the article. Someone at IGN is actually editing this video in, or this article to erase all of the uh, exact language that's been lifted. So clearly, there's somebody at IGN that's doing damage control on this and knows that this is happening uh, and knows that this is a reality. Because uh, as a little bit of a backstory to this, all the while this is going on, our supporters are going onto the IGN article page and they're going down to the comments and they're just posting my video link over and over again with phrases like, you should really source uh, site retroblasting because they did this article for you. You really need to credit the original author of this content. Uh, and it was like seven or 10 copies, YouTube windows of my video just right at the, at the top of the comments. So. We send that off, and then the next morning, the guy from editorial gets back to us, and he says, okay, uh, I really appreciate the added context. I wasn't aware of all this. Uh, while it may be intentional or unintentional, the, the, the connection between your video and his article is way too strong to deny, yeah. and uh, so I'm going to have Max add a link and a citation. And I was like, wait, so... What you've just revealed is that Max has the ability to edit the page, which means he was the one going in behind all of us, including his own editor, and trying to clean it up. Oh, jeez. And edi any editor worth anything would not stand for that. You don't go behind right. an editor's back. That's their job, not yours. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Wow. What... Yeah. Um, there's 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 some more I want to get into about this in in terms of um, your supporters alerting uh -huh. you to it. But what this is a good way I think to introduce the subject of what do you think about all the people that are producing something on the internet, whether it's um, drawings or paintings or videos or blogs or who owns that? I mean, I know you own what you produce, but who owns like if it's a forum who in your opinion who owns that material like if you write a good um as a member of any particular forum somebody you know introduces a subject and you comment on it and it's a you know decent observation you know how do you protect what you create and and how do you you know how does one ensure that it's not being lifted and used elsewhere yeah, that's a really tough problem with the internet. Um, it was always tough in human conversation anyway. Uh, the burden of proof is always on the victim. The, the benefit of the internet, though, is that most things, uh, whether it's a message board post, a forum post, a YouTube video, they all have date and time stamps on them for when they were introduced onto cyberspace. And so you can, you can usually say with certainty, like as, as in this case, um, 
Yeah, uh, Max, I get that you uh, recently did a podcast about droids, but guess what? That podcast was two weeks ago. You've admitted you watched my video, and my video was 18 months to two years ago. So on some level, I'm first out of the gate. So now the burden of proof is on you. Uh, who owns it? That's a that's a bigger question. I, you know, when it comes to forums and things like that, it's a sharing of knowledge and I, unless, unless you're, unless you're making it very clear, you know, this knowledge is proprietary, but I'm sharing it with you for conversational reasons to prove a point or whatever. Uh, once you put it out there, it's going to be really hard to reel it back in. Yeah. And, and I think that the issue that I have had in the past is that, um, that perfect example, um, somebody posts something on, um, a forum, uh, just to come up with a name, just out of just out of Nerf guns, Nerf gun and somebody comes up with a great idea to modify your Nerf gun to make it look like a real diesel punk, real working prop gun. Right. And the thing is, is that I go to that person who posts on that forum, and I said I would like to reformat that for our website and host it on our tutorial section of the Fedora Chronicles, do, do you mind? And, I, and I, I've, I've always done that. Yeah. And the author says, by all means, absolutely. By the way, here's a whole bunch of other material that I couldn't use. And we compile something together. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, um, the admin from that forum would say, no, no, that's ours. That's our, oh. he posted that on our forum. So since it's on our forum, we get first say in whether or not you can repost that on the Fedora Chronicles or not. And I say, but I went to the author and I asked for permission. And then some right. people have it written in their in their um, in their sign up. Um, and I can think of I can only think of two forums that have actually done this in the past. Whereas it's like anything you post on their forum. Like they claim ownership, and and that's how then that's how those people lose members. But See, that's frightening. It is. It oh, it is. And it's and like, I guess that becomes uh, the you know burden is is on the person signing up that they really should read um, the the do's and don'ts of anything that they sign up for because you know you could be doing it just for fun and then you you know post pictures or you know, a video of something that you're working on. And if it's in their bylaws that whatever you post, they own and you sign up for it and you click accept without actually reading it, you're kind of screwed. Well, but here's the problem with that though, is that if, if anybody, if any of us have been to college for more than two years or at least two years, and you have taken a course in um, any kind of creativity. And when you get into copyright law, the thing is, is that those those kind of um, uh, click to agree things, those those things won't hold up in court, um, unless of course you have endless resources to go after somebody legally. Right. Um, and the thing is, is that um, I mean, the thing is, is that what 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 Michael French here has done is that he. I mean, the thing is, Droids is already copyrighted by Lucasfilm, but he's right. doing a critique of a of a re, of a copyrighted material just like when Roger Ebert would write um, editorials or critiques of any other movie you can you can think of 
um, his review, all of any critic's review of other copyrighted work still belongs to the author of that critique. Michael French right. owns the copyright. Like one of the first things we learned is that technically is that if you take a photograph, the minute the copyright is yours is the moment you snap the picture. The only thing that, the only weird thing that gets hinky is that if, if you're a photographer for a company or a publisher, mm -hmm. perfect rolling, rolling stone or the associated press, they hired you to take that photograph. They own the copyright with you. Your name is on it. It's Michael French wrote this article for Retro Blasting. So you guys have co-ownership of the copyright. Um, but what really sort of throws people off is that the thing is, is that well, this content is out there, and I'm using air quotes when I say for free. So they think right. that it's like, oh, well, Michael French is giving this away to the rest of the world um, free of charge. Some people have this I, this crazy notion that because you give it away for free, somebody else can take ownership of it and do whatever it is that they want with it. And that's not fair and it's not right. Right, because Max Nicholson got paid for that article that he wrote. He pitched the idea to IGN and he was paid then after they accepted that pitch to write that article. And I don't care that they've known him for six years. They really shouldn't have just taken his word for it up front because we proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was doing some shady stuff. Now here's you know, a, they could take his they they can take his word for it, but if anything to the contrary is brought up, and it's not just like, um, oh hey, by the way, you have actual thought out research, documented proof that more than half of what he said was his was not his, and right. you know. Um, you have to take that seriously. And it doesn't seem, and maybe you don't want to talk about further action, uh, potential further action against um, Max or IGN as a whole, but, you know, th there has to be, uh, you know, a, a level of of interest on their part because now they could be pulled into something that they don't want to be pulled into, right. IGN as a company. Yeah, especially given that the writer looks like he was telling them one thing and telling us something else. He was telling them, oh, here are my sources. I didn't watch that video. And then he's telling us in writing, oh, yeah, I have to clarify that I, I did watch your video. But it, it didn't have anything to do with my, my article. And then you're going back and you're going, um, now you're editing the, the, the piece without the editorial standards department's knowledge. So now they've got even extra egg on their face when we come back around. Yeah. That's you know, and the, the sad part is, all of this would have been avoided if they had just given us credit up front, saying you know, we used this retroblasting video as a primary resource. This is a link to the video that was the basis for this article. If that had been the case, I am sure that our supporters would have come back and said, "You'll never believe it. IGN uh, gave you guys credit for an article they just wrote. Check it out." And it, then we would have been like, "Cool." It, it would have been more than cool, though, because the thing is, is that then they look like the hero. Then Max would look like a hero because, the, first of all, he he's recognizing you. He's sending more traffic in your direction, and he doesn't look like uh, like a jerk wagon for what he did. 
but the the question that I have in my mind, and maybe you can't answer this, what what what, what are the consequences for Max? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I've been in a corporate environment for a long time, and uh, I can tell you that you know the the response that we got with the admission of you know we're going to put a link in there, or we've 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 told Max to put a link in there, add a, a citation. Uh, which he did in the intro. So, see, this is the thing. He didn't. He wherever they told him to put it was not at the bottom on page two. It's it's before the jump. Like it's you know in the intro before they get started. So clearly, I I believe that they took this very seriously, yeah. and they were like, look, um, this is undeniable. But you know how this works. They can scold him behind closed doors, but when they present the, their face to you, they have to be a little more diplomatic. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. So I, I can't I, – I find it hard to believe that nothing was done behind the scenes. I have a feeling that you know, there, there was a discussion, and it was probably a heated one because they were not given all the cards before they, they made their determination. Right. And, and the, they did an investigation up front with – an interview with Max to determine what was up. And there, the result of that investigation was initially, there's no wrongdoing here. It's just a coincidence. Yeah. So then when we come back with all this data and then they have to reassess their position, I'm sure they're not happy. So. Now I'm, I know I, they gave you a sort of a backhanded apology and uh, you know, a minor, what I consider a minor uh, bit of uh notoriety in you know admission that they you know watched your video but I, I, maybe it's just you know principle but are in you know in 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 my eyes but is there any way or is there any uh, further action that might be taken just to prove a point not to not to you know seem like a a jerk but just to say listen you can't do this we we've been considering um some sort of uh uh, social media option. I, I do. I do have a uh, an entertainment uh, lawyer, a great lawyer named named John C A. and uh, John, and then his last name's S E A Y. He's a great lawyer here in in Atlanta, um, and he's been working with us ever since we got our LLC status for retroblasting. Mm -hmm. And um, I talked with him uh, about it, and and he was very frank. You know, he said, "Look," he said. Uh, it seems like this worked out to the best of, uh, of all outcomes, given that it's very difficult uh, to protect observation. That's what he called it. Yeah. He said, after a certain point, he said, two people can make the same observations about something. What's, what's plagiarism is that it's very unlikely that two people are going to describe it exactly the same way with exactly the same structure and diction. And that's where this guy got into hot water. Um, his, his recommendation, and I, I think it's wise, was to just simply, you know, chalk it up as a victory and, um, and know that, that you've made their radar and that they'll be very careful next time with their, uh, with their writers, if their writers come across our videos in their quote unquote research. Uh, as far as what we can do, um, I would say that we're we're considering the possibility of doing like a uh, a public service 101 to other content producers to say, look, um, we want you to have this kind of advice if you find yourself in this situation. 
Uh, we found ourselves in it recently. This yep. is what you can do. This is what you should do. Don't get, you know, don't, don't think that you, you have to sit back and do nothing. There are things you can accomplish. And be sure that um, um, you let me know when you're going to do that, because I have um, a lot of experience in dealing with clients and um, registering their work, um, whether it's for copyright or trademark or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, um, it's not an easy process, but it's not an impossible process. It, it, right. If you have somebody who has already done it, and, um, it runs much more smoothly. Um, but the thing is, is that, I mean, for me, here's, here's two solutions that I think that we should be considering here, and IGN should consider it as well. First of all, for 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 Michael French and retroblasting, you couldn't ask for better advertising for um, for your work. I mean, right. I mean now, I mean now, I mean as far as I know, it's like so many people were talking about retroblasting, and so many people retroblasting. What's retroblasting? And then follow up the comment later. Oh my God, this is awesome! Wow, this guy actually did this. But here's something I think IGN should be considering. Hire Michael French. <laughs> Give Michael, because the thing is, you've already proven, thanks to Max, you can, you can do the work. Right. Hire, <laughs> hire this guy. And on, and on top of that, Michael French also has two good friends on the internet who also provide really good content. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Give yeah. No, seriously, IGN should offer you a job, even even if it is. Um, hey, let's do a trial run. Let, you know, how about if um, um, IGN hires Retroblasting to do a couple of videos? Yeah, I mean, it would have to be better than the videos they put out because those things are garbage. Um, I mean, no offense to anyone out there who might work for IGN, but the, the, the video work that they do is just very trendy, high energy, obnoxious kind of stuff with very little substance. Well, but uh, let, now come on, let's be fair. Let's be very fair to them. They don't have the, 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 the talent and the experience and the degree in making actual film the way you do. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, but there's another, there's another thing though, is that I, I tend to live and die as, as, as you could probably relate, Eric, oh, yeah, I tend yeah. to live and die by my my convictions. And one of my convictions was that I will not, um, in my content, I will not pander to uh, the visual and structural fads uh, of the of the the mass public. I, yeah. I'm going to deliver something that has real substance, that has real information that people can dig into, and you know. It's all about accountability, and yeah. and when I sit back and I, I craft one of these videos, and Melinda, you know, sees my scripts and reviews them, it's it's us looking back, going, well, we've been on the air three years, we have just under thirteen thousand subscribers. Now, most YouTube channels uh, find a way to leverage their meteoric rise, and they within three years they have. 1,000 or 130,000 subscribers or more. Right. And and we sit back and we say to ourselves, well, maybe the reason we don't is because it takes that hard one subscriber uh, to really find us, get into our, our groove and realize, hey, when I walk away from a retro blasting video, it's not three minutes of fluff. It's yep. possibly 10 to 13 minutes of a real experience. And I walk away with new knowledge and I walk away with a new perspective. 
Um, but those people, as you know, guys, they're they're rarer yeah. than your average YouTube junkie. They're rarer. I'd rather have 13,000. I'm, I'm looking at your channel now. I'd rather have 13,000 real viewers, people that are actually interested, that participate in the comments, that um, you know really are involved in the community that you and Melinda try to create, as opposed to 400,000 people of which 90% are you know, non-participating members, yeah. really. Right. And, right. you know, and not trying to, you know, blow too much smoke, but it's like, watch, you have a very strong formula, if you, if I could say that to your videos, and mm -hmm. that, you know, you're highly opinionated, but you back that up with um, historical fact in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, something that could be traced back to sales in, in, in a toy or viewership for a cartoon and you know you back up your opinion with these facts that I might not agree with your opinion all the time but at least you do all the work to make sure that your opinion is backed up and that you're given all the information to the people so they can make up their own minds right you right know? and it's just you know they're you know somebody who's not interested is not going to be watching your channels probably passively you know these people are really interested and you're giving them a you know a high value product and i i still find it kind of hard to believe but maybe not really that ign such a big company as ign with such a big media footprint wouldn't think that well maybe they would think because maybe they think oh twelve thousand, you know you know those people really are not you know, really paying attention, but clearly you're almost 13,000 subscribers were paying attention. Right. And, and you know, that they're, they had the audacity to, or at least Max had the audacity to go, ah, screw it. I'll just take it. You know, this just proves that, you know, as, as much as social media can be a real hindrance on society sometimes in terms yeah. of like cat videos and, you know, Let's play this stupid game on Facebook or whatever it is that is being put out there that, you know, the, the people that are really involved in whatever it is, you know, can ha have a real impact. And, you know, that's got to be some that's got to make you feel pretty good that the, the that your viewers are that interested in what you do, not just, oh, I like his videos, but are that interested that they came to you and said, look what they're doing. Yeah. They're trying to screw you. Yeah, it was an eye-opening moment for us. We always loved our supporters, um, and we, we value every one of them. That's not BS. That's for real. And, and But we we really saw the links that they would go to uh, in the last few days, and they went up to bat for us. And it wasn't just to curry some kind of favor. It was because I think it's because they know that our our product is not just videos, it's a community that they're allowed to be in and I respond to all of their messages. So it's not come to come be a part of our site and like all of our stuff, but you'll never interact with us because we're just we're just two people like normal people who are doing this trying to connect with other like-minded individuals and I think I think that I fi I finally understand that they do understand that and they they're protecting their community um which is very humbling. 
I think that the other aspect of this is that, um, well, not not just one aspect, but two, because I mean, f I mean, first of all, um, you, so many times you see some guy who is like the little guy, and he's getting knocked down by the cyber bullies, whether it's a whether it's a, a, a troll, um, like the because um, it seems like every every community has their Ted Kaczynski's. And then it's like they say, you know, I, I've been wronged in the past, so I'm going to take the anger that I had from being wronged in the past, and I'm going to stick up for this guy who I consider a friend. I consider the guy who does retroblasting a friend because I, I see his videos, I've, I'm a subscriber, and I don't want to see him get ripped off because I've been ripped off. I, wanna, I want to right some wrong. Mm -hmm. And then, but then yet at the other time, I, I am looking at this as this is one of those things that I've always wanted to see happen. I've always wanted to see fandom get involved and, and do something good. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's like, I mean, they, they, they came to the rescue. They're the cavalry for one of their own. Right. I think that's, yeah. that's enormously important. Yeah. I, I, I describe them as the, the, the Delta Force. I was like, you guys swept in and uh, took names. And I said, you guys did it with conviction and impunity. And I was, I was blown over by it because I can only imagine that kind of incessant response being given to an article also had to come to the attention of the editorial staff at IGN where they were like, oh my God, yeah. there's like you know, 10 or 15 people already within this hour posting support for this web channel that we've never heard of. Max, what did you do? And, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, that's, I have to believe that's how it played out. You poked the bear, Max, you poked the bear. <laughs> so so now, anyway. we've, we've talked about the legal aspect of this in, in, in some regard, and we've talked about your subscribers and the fan base. More importantly, I think the big question is, what does Broken Vader have to say about this? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, he he hates uh, when people mess with him anyway. So uh, normally he's happy to see me suffer. But uh, in this case, he was upset because, um, you know, this this is uh, this is his home, too. And uh, even though he doesn't want to be in half the videos that we stick the camera on him uh, for, he, he understands that uh, it's one of those deals where uh, you you guys can't steal from him. Only I can steal from him. So <laughs> yeah. it was that kind of thing. I think that. And we, now if anybody we, listening, if you don't know who Broken Vader is, do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube, <laughs> go to the Retro Blasting channel and watch some of their videos. If not, watch all of their videos and you'll understand quickly who Broken Vader is. And I have to say, he's not in every video, but... I think it's, you know, he's he's the R2-D2 of the Retro Blasting channel, where he, he's like the linchpin that holds it together. Exactly. And, um, you know, it's really funny. I, mean, I don't know how you came up with the, 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 the character, but really sharp and funny. It is. The, be the best things are always accidents. And um, the short version is that uh, I bought... Uh, a Vader doll. It's a vintage Kenner Vader doll. I bought it back when I was a, an adolescent that was moving from playing with toys to collecting. And he, he was in a comic book shop. 
And uh, I was living in England at the time. And so I put him on the airplane and took him back to England with me. And uh, he sat at the top of my uh, shelf and he had his arms. And then um, a few years ago, I guess it was about five or six years ago, I was reorganizing my bins because we were, I don't remember what I was doing. And uh, I've always had a big vintage Star Wars collection, Eric will tell you. And, oh, um, yes. So, oh, yes. <laughs> so I, uh, he was at the bottom of a bin and I was shifting things around and I picked him up to temporarily move him. And he came up, but his arms didn't come up with him. And it was because the rubber band in between his shoulders that's inside the body had dry rotted, mm -hmm. uh, just time. And so uh, I was like, ah, great. You know, what am I going to do? So I left him there for a while and uh, then retroblasting got started. And then a few videos into that, we started doing uh, repair tutorials and uh when we were doing that, we just thought it was an interesting thing to film. We didn't realize that that would take off. So then somebody came along and said, hey, um, I really I was really wondering if you guys could talk about how to fix the arms on um, the Vader and Chewbacca dolls because I have these dolls that I don't know how to fix their arms. And I thought, wow, that's convenient. I've got a, a Darth Vader that... Uh, has no arms, so I thought maybe... And, they, and they're the large format figures, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're like 15 inches tall. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll, maybe I'll, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll fix him, and uh, that'll be a good resto video. And so then I was getting ready to do this big Star Wars Follies that I did called um, Icaramba, which was about the last 17 action figures. And I, I thought, well, I said, I'm planning on doing this Vader thing next, and maybe it'd be funny to just have this little sort of prologue scene kind of like the pre-adventure before the credits you know the indie grabbing the idol kind of thing mm -hmm. except it's the thing will be me setting up the lights and i'll be getting the the set ready for this video that we're doing and this armless vader doll comes walking in and is is he misunderstands what i'm doing he thinks that i'm getting ready to film a video about his resurrection and i rebuff him and he gets irritated and then I walk off like that's I thought that would just be funny. And then the next video would be the restoration of this toy. I thought that, that'll be fine. I was just I was just thinking about a little gag because we've done this before. We've done videos where Skeletor gives a tour of Castle Grayskull. So I didn't think this was really all that profound. I just thought it was this thing. So we did that. It, I mean, that scene is only like maybe 10 seconds long in the beginning of that video of a 30 minute video. So. We post the video, and all of a sudden, the comments just light up, and they're like, "Broken Vader has to be in every video from <laughs> now on. He is awesome. He it's has to be in everything. He rocks, Broken Vader." And I'm going, "Wow!" I, so, I think that the reason why Doug has such an affinity for for Broken Vader is because the same thing happened with him. Because people are saying you gotta have Doug Palumbo in every every podcast because he is just like. Doug Palumbo! <laughs> I am the broken Vader of the Fedora Chronicles. Yeah. Hey, that that's that's awesome. That's bragging rights, man. <laughs> it is. It is. Hey, you know what? I just realized, because the thing is, is that there are a whole bunch of things that I, uh, I'm working on for this podcast, and Doug knows a little, a little. There's a reason why we're keeping the name Fedora Chronicles Radio Show, um, mostly because of the format. Um, well, we also got some other things going on, so I have to kind of keep it down to an hour, 
But the thing is, is that what I want to do is I want to invite Michael French on again. And I want to um, uh, do another podcast or three or four or 12 about the future of retroblasting. And, the, and we have to do an entire hour on the future of fandom. Because that's, okay. that's a topic that you and I are just so passionate about. Yeah. So anyway, but before I wrap this up, um, Michael French, you have to um, uh, give a plug for your website, where to find you, and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, my uh, website is called retroblasting.com. I run it with my better half, Melinda Mock. Uh, you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com backslash user backslash retroblasting uh, or you can find us on our dot com retroblasting.com we're also on facebook twitter and instagram uh and uh we're out there and we would love to connect with you absolutely doug do you have any anything special to plug this week any special appearances or no but i would love and i would absolutely wear with pride a retroblasting broken vader t-shirt um <laughs> So if, if you ever produce those, I'd be the first one to buy one. And uh, I would love to talk someday about restoring a uh, DeLorean. <laughs> that would be great. Absolutely. Uh, if, that, if that's not too hard of a subject. That, DeLorean is like the Golden Gate Bridge, my friend. Once you get done painting it at the one end, you got to go back to the end and start over again. And oh, yeah. It's same thing with that car. You're always repairing it. I am so. telling you right now, that is definitely um, a great teaser for the next episode. And hope, <laughs> hopefully, um, Mike, you will be able to uh, do this again maybe uh, um, the same time, same channel next week. I, I can probably make that work. That'd be great. Thanks to my co-host, Doug Palumpo, and our special guest, Michael French from Retro Blasting, for a great show. Be sure to check out Michael's website when you get the chance. If you like what you hear on the Fedora Chronicles radio show, let us know via Twitter or Facebook. If you have any complaints, be sure to mail them to our complaints department and enclose all of your 20s, 50s, and $100 bills, and we'll be sure to address those issues just as soon as we get back from the bar. On a final note, if you have an event or product that you would like us to promote on the Fedora Chronicles, let us know by dropping us a line at info at thefedorachronicles.com. We'll do any kind of a live read for all of our listeners who have something to promote with special events, appearances at conventions, or vendors who sell retrocentric wares. Anyway, with that said, that's it for Volume 2, Number 2 of the Fedora Chronicles radio show. Until next time, keep your chin up and your fedora on.